Please fasten your seatbelts and don't adjust your dial. You're turning left in Oklahoma. Everybody. Yes, you are listening to Left in Oklahoma. That is the podcast formerly known as Pointing Left. And I am your host, Serena Blaze. This is episode 26. Now, I've got some stories for you about bills in the legislature because that's what we do here. Um, and it includes one that's the one that is sucking up all of the attention, of course, Step Up which I would like to stomp down, but also some ones you may not have heard about, uh, and you might want to step up and give them some attention too. I will uh, read you the second part of Mark Davies' essay series on Step Up, advocating against it, of course. Now, there will supposedly be a vote on the plan on the day, Monday, that this is released, in which case, if it's passed... This may all be a moot point, so you can imagine that rant against it read in a minor key. But I have a feeling that the thing will not pass, so we can go on to fight another day, right? What am I saying? We'll fight another another day regardless. It's just a matter of how damn hard it's going to be. Say la vie. Anyway, I also have some other policy matters that don't involve the legislature, you'll be happy to know, um, but rather the Oklahoma Department of Environmental Quality. Actually, I have two stories about ODEQ, and one of them is rather fun or has a fun, creative angle, which I think you will get a kick out of. So even though this is a Oklahoma News and Opinion Show, and in fact, mostly Central Oklahoma at that, I do have something that deals with our long national nightmare, Donald Trump, which I think you will find amusing, amusing in that laugh-to-keep-from-crying kind of way, right? Um, And finally, just to round things out with a little non-political news, I have a science story for you because I fucking love science. And no, it's not about a homophobic creationist getting uninvited to speak for money at UCO. But before we get to the newsy stuff, how about my little newsy intro bit, which this time I am giving over to a pretty unusual request for me in which I will urge you to inaction into not doing something. So there's a twist. You see, uh, Tuesday, February 13th, tomorrow, on uh, speaking from the release day of this podcast, it's an election day. And that will take the form of municipal elections, school board elections, and in some places, special elections to replace a legislator. But here in OKC, it is in fact a regular election to pick a new mayor. Now, just to get the backstory on this, let's, let's take a look at what non-doc has to say about it. This is a story uh, that was filed on January 30th and written by Josh McBee, managing editor there at Nondoc, uh, titled OKC Mayoral Race, A Cheat Sheet for Upcoming Election, which is, um, I would quibble with that title, but that's just me. Okay, so here we go. In late May 2017, Current Oklahoma City Mayor Mick Cornett announced his official intention to run for governor of Oklahoma via Twitter. The announcement began the end of what will be a 14-year term, the longest in OKC history for Cornett. At first, Cornett's announcement drew competition from experienced politicians and newcomers alike, but the mayoral candidate field has narrowed 
or had narrowed by December filing date to include only three. Senator David Holt, a Republican legislator from Oklahoma City, Taylor Neighbors, uh, who is female, and Randall Smith. The trio will appear on a nonpartisan ballot for the OKC mayor race in a primary election Tuesday, February 13th. Voters registered in the city of Oklahoma City can cast their ballots at their local precinct. If no candidate receives a majority of the votes, a general election will take place April 3rd. So that's Nondoc's backstory. Now, David Holt is the anointed one, anointed by Cornette, the chamber, the rest of the city's ruling elite. Um, he has ties to ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, uh, which is a uh, conservative, business-oriented, uh, legislative kind of chop shop where they produce, um, they produce legislation to send around to various state, uh, state legislators around the country. So he's voted for some pretty heinous bills, kinds of bills that just stick it to the little guy. So he, I mean, he's, he's among that elite crowd. He was inexplicably endorsed about a year before the filing date by numerous Democratic legislators, prominent progressive activists, so-called progressives, and is a virtual lock on winning on Tuesday. No runoff necessary, do not pass go. So there's that. Now, here are your other choices on the ballot if you can't stomach Holt. First, Taylor Neighbors. She is a 21-year-old OU student, and she has been campaigning almost as if serious. She has expressed concern that recent Republican scandals in Oklahoma are hurting conservatism. Yes, you heard me right. So the mad rush for Holt rejecting progressive Democrats that I follow on Facebook to announce that they support and will vote for her is just mystifying to me. I don't get it, especially since there is the perfect protest vote candidate in the race, that being Randy Smith, a 59-year-old accountant for the state, retired. If you must vote in this pointless coronation masquerading as an election, then vote for someone who at least espouses progressive views. However, I'm not endorsing Randy. I'm doing what Randy is probably doing, not voting or invalidating my ballot by voting for all or none of the candidates. Now, why on earth would I do that? Miss, never miss an election, sacred duty, all that. Well, here's what my friend Nathaniel Batchelder sent out about the matter, which you can consider co-signed my me. Sent it out by email. He has a, a, a header, unusual consideration. Because David Holt, assistant to Mayor Cornette, is slated to win big, experience, money, machine, recognition, and challengers are newcomers, first-timers, some suggest not voting to keep the election numbers low. That number is the basis for the number of signatures needed for coming initiative petitions. Fewer voters equals fewer signatures needed. He continues, Batch has no recommendation. Vote your conscience. Good luck. Peace and onward. But like I said, I am voting. I'm turning in that piece of paper, but strategically, and you should too. See, opting for none of the above can still leave you some creative interpretive action. So that's my inaction <laughs> recommendation. That's my take. Your mileage may vary. Let me know what you think. Whatever happens, and actually we do know what's going to happen, I trust you will join me going forward after February 13th in ch continuing to challenge the control of this city by the wealthy elite and their lackeys because, you know what, it's our city too. 
Okay, so I have two action items. I have two action items for you that deal with voting rights in Oklahoma. So very important, red flag and all that. There's a bill, uh, HB 3341, which would create an impediment to voting, and it's due to be heard on Wednesday, February 14th at 9 a.m. in the Elections and Ethics Committee, and that's set to take place in, in room 512A, again, 9 a.m. on Wednesday. The, those meetings do tend to get changed around a bit, right up until the morning of so uh, check in with uh, someone at the capitol perhaps before heading up there but at any rate here's what hb 3341 is all about it's authored by sean roberts and it relates to voter registration requiring proof of citizenship to register to vote and proof of citizenship to vote and prohibiting using certain types of identification and the um the buzz on facebook where i'm getting got this information says uh i encourage you to contact the members of the committee and again that is the elections and ethics committee because it's being heard in the heard in committee they can decide to vote it down in which case that is the end of it and it will live no more for for this year this this legislative session if it passes in the committee then it goes on to a vote on the floor and moves forward and that's bad this is a really bad thing um, it addresses a problem that doesn't exist which is the myth of voter fraud there's virtually no voter fraud, but lots of suppression of the vote. And this is just another way to suppress the vote. And in fact, it is already a felony for a non-citizen to try to register. So it's completely unneeded. Now, here's the list of the committee members. Please call them all. When it's at this stage of the game, it's not a situation where you call your own legislator. It's in the committee. We want it to... to fail in the committee we want them all to vote no and uh, so call all the people on the committee here they are Chuck Strom he is the chair his number is 405-557-7331 Del Curbs is vice chair 405-557-7345 if you only call two those are the two to call but please do continue Bobby Cleveland's number is 405-557-7308. Donnie Condit is 405-557-7376. Jason Lowe, 405-557-7367. Randy McDaniel, 405-557-7409. And Lewis Moore, 405-557-7400. So, we think that's bad enough, but hey, it gets worse. There's bill number HB 2747, which uh, unfortunately has been proposed by a Democrat, and it would require, quote, computerized finger imaging for voter registration. Now, that is a gross violation of privacy, it's just horrendous. So I would say call those same people. You can stop and rewind if you're listening to the podcast and get those numbers. And while you're calling them on HB 3341, also mention that HB 2747 is also not something they should support. At this point, I don't know that HB 2747 is on the agenda but hey you're calling already right so just mention it as well so no on both those votes now here's a bill that uh you can be for that's always fun we don't get enough of those kinds of bills around here 
This has been proposed by Senator Michael Brooks Jimenez, the new senator who was elected in a special election last year serving uh, South Oklahoma City. He is a Democrat. He has um, put forward, it's a. It's called a joint resolution, a Senate joint resolution. And what that does is seek to put something on the ballot as a state question from the legislature. So there's, you know, grassroots initiatives to put things on the ballot, but there's also ways for the legislator, legislature itself to put things on the ballot. So this is what he's trying to do. And this would be basically if there's no education budget, legislature legislators don't get paid. And Michael says on his webpage for this, I'm proposing a bill that would freeze pay until lawmakers meet a constitutionally required law stating that they must pass the education budget by April 1st. And he continues, here's the deal. If you don't show up for work, you don't get paid. Why should lawmakers get paid when they don't do their job? That is a good question. I would, uh, if you look on the post page for this podcast, I will have a link to Michael's bill. He's seeking signatures for that to show support for it. So please go and support that. Uh, That will, uh, it's been referred to the rules committee, my understanding is. So they, we will need to ask the rules committee chair to bring that up for uh, consideration. His name is Eddie Fields, F-I-E-L-D-S. His number is 405-521-5581. That's 521-5581. We want to ask him to please put on the agenda SJR69. SJR69. All right, so those are um, so those are my action items today. That's a lot to cover, but you know it's the it's the legislative session. Things are moving quickly, and so there's a lot to do at this time of year to try to influence legislation. So we're going to take a short break, and then I'll be back, and we're going to talk about water. Stay tuned. <music> Listening to Left in Oklahoma. This is Serena Blaze. Okay, so now, as promised, uh, we've got a couple things to deal with in terms of water in Oklahoma. So, first up is uh, an email I got from Earl Hatley. He's the Grand River Keeper for the lead agency, LEAD. Um, leadagency.org is the website and I'm on his mailing list and it's a really great mailing list because he only emails you when he's got something um, really urgent and he never asks for money (laughs) so it's a really good action list to be on and what he's uh, talking about right now is a, a hearing that's coming up so let me Uh, read to you from part of a couple of articles that are on the waterkeeper.org website about this um, upcoming event where we need to participate to help save our water and environment, in this case from coal ash pollution. So this is dated February 9th, 2018. It's written by Rebecca Jim, the Tar Creek Keeper, and Earl Hatley, the Grand River Keeper. Again, just going to read excerpts from it. You can get more information at the, at the website. Quote, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, is holding a public hearing 
on a proposal to approve the Oklahoma Department of Environmental Quality ODEQ rules on coal ash pollution that would replace federal requirements. The proposed rules were sought by industry to protect them from third-party lawsuits and would significantly limit public information about and participation in coal ash disposal sites permitting and compliance. Now, coal ash is the waste that is left over at coal-burning power plants. It contains toxic substances known to cause cancer and other human health impacts, including arsenic, cadmium, lead, mercury, selenium, thallium, and hexavalent chromium. When companies irresponsibly store and dispose of coal ash, these hazardous chemicals can enter the air, groundwater, surface water, and soil. So that's a little bit about this stuff. Uh, and the next article is about Oklahoma DEQ's toxic coal ash plan threatens public, again, February 9th, um, and I wanted to include this because it quotes some of the direct impact that this could have or has had in Oklahoma. So quoting from this second article, for example, in Oklahoma, one coal ash disposal site is located on the banks of the Verdigree River below Ugala, hoping saying that's right, that right, lake, and another is located along the banks of the Grand River near Choto. Forgive me, I'm not a native Oklahoman and I don't know how these are pronounced. Um, uh, and you look at Chickasha and it's like, that's not what that spells. Uh, groundwater testing at these sites um, show that those sites have been releasing toxic contamination into nearby groundwater for years. And this is a quote from Earl. We are already seeing coal ash sites in Oklahoma causing contamination. On the banks of the Grand River, we have one site with elevated levels of arsenic in the groundwater. Uh, unquote. The coal ash dumped in abandoned mines in Bakoshi has caused severe pollution in the community. However, ODEQ's rules do nothing to address this issue as they mirror the federal rules in giving an exemption for coal ash that is stored in abandoned mines. Uh, jumping ahead, under the rules, coal ash operators are required to submit plans for how ash dump operators will monitor groundwater for dangerous pollutants, how they will safely close the dumps, and how they will make sure coal ash pollution is not escaping from a dump. However, ODEQ's rules do not require the state to meaningfully oversee these plans and severely limit public input and review of them. And again, jumping toward the end, and this really jumped out at me, permits issued under these rules would be for life, which means that the public will likely have very limited chances to weigh in on industry plans to monitor groundwater, remedy contamination, or close ash sites. So we want you to get to this, um, to this meeting. So let me give you that information. Okay, it will be on Tuesday, February 13th, beginning at 9 a.m. Central, and it will be at the ODEQ building, which is located at 707 North Robinson Avenue, Oklahoma City. Now, the sign-up, there's a pre-registration for, for speaking at this event, uh, and the deadline for that is the uh, end of day, end, end of the business day, on February 12th. If you don't make that uh, deadline, go ahead, go to the meeting, and there will be opportunities to submit a written uh, comment to them, or uh, possibly uh, you could also, uh, if, there, if there's not a, too many, you might be able to get on and go ahead and speak. If you can speak for a, a group, that's all the better, but go and just speak for yourself as an Oklahoma citizen. And um, 
if if you don't want to go speak, hey, how about just going there, being there a little before 9 a.m. when these folks who are going to be listening to uh, comments are coming into the building, maybe hold a sign or a banner about the need for clean uh, water, clean environment in Oklahoma. So um, hope some of you will participate in this important event. So now here's another uh, another environmentally related action uh, that you can do. And this is uh, regarding the Environmental Protection Agency Clean Power Plan. They're having a hearing in Kansas City later this month. And um, they are seeking to repeal the Clean Power Plan. It would prevent the implementation of regulations meant to curb the excesses of fracking and would work to prevent unnecessary methane emissions from natural gas installations. It would do away with worker retraining provisions that would allow displaced coal miners and oil and gas field workers re to retrain for the renewable energy future that is already producing more jobs than all fossil fuel jobs combined. So a, a van load of people are going to be traveling from Tulsa to Kansas City on Wednesday, February 21st, 2018, and you are invited to join them, and you can contact Barbara Van Hanken to get your name on the list for further information. Her email address is... Sophia B K V. That's S O P H I A B K V at AOL.com. We'll have that address in the in the post for this podcast. And the Sierra Oklahoma Sierra Club is the one promoting this. So you might also try contacting the Sierra Club. But we don't want Trump to be able to repeal the Clean Power Plan. That's an important improvement and that uh, came in under the Obama administration. So we need to keep that in place. So please check that out and participate if you can. Okay, now I told you that another one on clean water. And so let's get to that. And I'm uh, reading from a story in the Tulsa World that was posted on February 10th. It was written by Kelly Bastian, and it starts out like this. I'll just read the beginning of it, and then we'll have a little listen. Creek County resident Charles Threadgill gave Oklahoma legislators what likely was the most expensive and colorful constituent letter to hit their desk on the first day of the session. He told them their state is crappy and he did it in song with a YouTube posted parody of Oklahoma's official anthem presented in a way Rodgers and Hammerstein surely never intended. So let's take a listen. There's a dull brownish haze on my creek bed. There's some garbage that's left in the meadow. E. coli so high as an elephant's eye. And it looks like our government is gonna deny. Oklahoma, where the crap comes flowing down the streams. And it ain't so sweet when you know that creek has E. coli floating down the way. Oh, why can't we keep our crap from messing up our streams? But with budget cuts, our state rep ducks and pollution gets worse every day. You say that you're proud of this land, but your actions dispel that stand. We have to say no. Please stand with us today. Where will we stay in Oklahoma? Please help us today. Oh, Oklahoma, 
the legislators don't care about the kids. Tax cuts for the rich, teachers getting ditched while they're doing lazy circles in the sky. Oklahomans are proud of the land, but our leadership we can't stand. Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahomans have to say, please clean our waterways. We're not doing fine, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, please help. Now, the story goes on to tell about Threadgill's beef with, with water and E. coli levels on his property in Creek County. And he's had an ongoing 10-year feud with a neighbor over an aeration, aeration septic system installation. And so it goes into some depth about this, uh, about this problem he's having, but also about how he came about with the idea to do this parody. He put $7,000 of his own money into producing it. Um, and he said he felt like he got a bargain. He was willing to spend ten to twelve thousand. So it was produced by Joel Wade of Blue House Media. I think it's a lot of fun, and really, you need to see the video because if they really do it right. They they go full costume, scenery, everything to parody Oklahoma with this message about clean water. So do check it out and share it. If you're so moved to support Mr. Threadgild in this, uh, in this effort, then write to your legislators and maybe send them the link to it and make sure they get to see it. As long as we're listening to parodies here, I want to share another one with you. As I said, this is a little beyond our usual scope, which is Oklahoma, uh, central Oklahoma area, but this is uh, has a national, maybe even an international scale. It's a parody from Norway. You remember Norway, President Trump's favorite country? Well, apparently he's not their favorite guy. So listen to this parody from our friends in Norway. Hello everyone. We are from the great country of Norway and we have a little song we'd like to sing for you regarding some comments recently made by the president of America. He referred to some of the great countries of the world as shitholes or possibly shithouses as though it makes a difference and then expressed his preference for people from Norway. Well, here's what we have to say about that. We're happy about our country, thanks, and its praises are well sung now. We're one of the richest on the globe, here we take care of old and young now. The finest care is for all of us, disregarding annual income. We have respect and we're treated thus, we protect ourselves and then some. Quite well, education is for all here. The progeny of the plumbers is with those of the CEOs here. We strive for equal opportunity, human rights and gender equality. Norway is the happiest country with lives of the highest quality. 
plight of your elderly and spend the most on health care but your system comes in last each time things don't seem to ever improve there you rob the young of their future pay funnel into your corporations they eat their schools on the final day with indebted complications we resisted nazi germany we built our system on people we have no need for your racist creed or your neo-nazi sheeple just because we are mostly white doesn't mean you are our brother we don't fit in with your whitewash plan we're accepting of all colors we know that you excel at certain things in the usa no it's only fair to acknowledge these so we one last thing to say now we're aware that you're number one for 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 citizen incarceration you also landed in first place for the most breast augmentation And this one also is in full costume of kind of a, a stereotypical what I guess Americans would think uh, Norway Nor Norwegians might be wearing. I'm sure they don't really dress like that, but it's fun. People are so clever um, making these videos and everything. It's just awesome. I love it. I love the Internet. So I promised you this great story. Story, this great science story. So let's get to that and then we'll finish up with the second part of Mark Davies' um, uh, op-ed about the step-up plan and everything that's wrong with it. But first, this awesome story. Okay, I'm taking this from uh, the Sunday Express, a London paper, I believe. And uh, I'll talk a little bit later about why I'm taking it from that paper because it was re widely reported. But this one is by Sean Martin and it was published on Monday, February 5th and updated, um, and updated later that day. So headline, scientific breakthrough, 2000 planets detected outside Milky Way galaxy. Experts have long known that planets would not be confined to our galaxy, but this is the first time that a celestial body has been discovered outside of the Milky Way. Researchers from the University of Oklahoma used microlensing, an astronomical phenomenon that allows scientists to use gravity from huge objects such as stars to peer hundreds of billions of light years into the universe to detect the planets. The scientists say they have detected up to 2,000 planets beyond the Milky Way in a galaxy around 3.8 billion light years away from Earth and ranging in mass sizes from the Moon to Jupiter. Uni University of Oklahoma researchers used NASA's Chanda Chandra X-ray Observatory and were even able to see a quasar, a large celestial object, up to 6 billion light years away. Xinyu Dai, professor in the Homer L. Dodge Department of Physics and Astronomy, University of Oklahoma College of Arts and Sciences, Sciences said, quote, we are very excited about this discovery. This is the first time anyone has discovered planets outside our galaxy. These small planets are the best candidates for the signature we observed in this study using the microlensing technique. We analyzed the high frequency of the signature by modeling the data to determine the mass, unquote. 
The team, which published its research in the Astrophysical Journal, were not able to observe the planets directly, but confirmed their presence thanks to the way that gravity bends light around them. University of Oklahoma postdoctoral researcher Eduardo Guerrez said, This is an example of how powerful the techniques of analysis of extragalactic microlensing can be. This galaxy is located 3.8 billion light years away, and there is not the slightest chance of observing these planets directly, not even with the best telescope one can imagine in a science fiction scenario. However, we are able to study them, unveil their presence, and even have an idea of their masses. This is very cool science. Unquote. The gravitational microlensing technique was first predicted by Einstein's theory of general relativity. The technique has already been used to identify 53 exoplanets within the Milky Way. Now that is the end of the Sunday Express story. And I used it because um, I, I liked some of the quotes in it that I didn't find elsewhere. But in the interest of, well, science, I want to add an excerpt from the Washington Post story uh, by Alex Horton because it, it has some caveats and some, some little warning signals in it. And they're quoting from um, a theoretical astrophysicist at, at Yale University via NBC. He spoke to um, NBC. And he said, this discovery, if the interpretation of the data holds up, looks very exciting indeed. But other experts uh, express skepticism. David Bennett, a gravitational lensing expert at NASA, said the research was interesting, but the data could be interpreted in a way to suggest the object, objects were not extragalactic, NBC reported. So that's the, uh, that again is from the, the Washington Post story about this. But the point is that we, we're seeing scientists at Oklahoma University doing cutting edge work and getting the attention and respect from their peers around the world, um, uh, doing fantastic work. And so sorry, this is bringing politics back into it, but this story just really consoles me in light of the political situation and the whole anti-science um, uh, uh, tenor of, of the conservative movement these days. And our legislature and much of our media and other civic institutions are full of the most anti-intellectual bullcrap of appealing to the least educated among us. And, and so our smartest young people are leaving in droves, um, but we have great institutions that are bucking that idea and they're drawing in and sustaining the top level of science, technology, and even in the arts. And, and I would draw attention to the names of the researchers in this case at OU. Uh, and of course, Names cannot conclusively indicate someone's country of or origin, but they do indicate that it's a diverse department where one's ability and knowledge are the factors that matter. It's imperative that politics stay out of our state educational system and we let science, research, and expertise lead the way. As a popular astrophysics geek, as well as an Oklahoman, this story makes me really excited and proud. Okay, so now back to dealing with the bullcrap that we usually have to deal with around here. Again, this is, um, this is Mark Davies' piece, Oklahoma, Step Beyond Fossil Fuel, published on January 21st. It's from his blog at oneworldhouse.net. I completely understand why the fossil fuel companies in Oklahoma, whose massive tax breaks have broken our state, would want to control the state's response to its brokenness, but I can't understand why the rest of us would let them. 
Letting oil and gas companies control how Oklahoma responds to its revenue failure and budget crisis is a little bit like allowing the person who crashed into your car control where you go to the doctor for your injuries and what body shop you can use to repair your car, and then being told not to complain about your chronic back pain or about the paint not matching on your car or about the bumper that keeps falling off. The fossil fuel companies in Oklahoma own this state. They own the governor and almost every statewide elected office. They own the vast majority of the Oklahoma legislature. They own the mayors of our major cities and most of their city councils. They own our universities and their presidents. They own most of the media. The fossil fuel companies own Oklahoma and thus they utterly and completely own our state's abysmal failure. And now they want us to trust them to come up with solutions for our state? Give me a break. In addition to being a failing state in the present, Oklahoma has done very little to prepare for the post-fossil fuel economy. If we think things are bad now, wait 10 to 15 years when fossil fuel use is in significant decline around the world. 20 years ago, I had hoped that our Oklahoma oil and gas companies would begin to see themselves more broadly as energy companies and help lead the way in the transition to clean energy. But I underestimated their greed and their willingness to sacrifice the well-being of future generations, both in Oklahoma and beyond, for the sake of that greed. Not only has Oklahoma done very little to prepare for the post-fossil fuel economy, we have also cut state spending on education far more than any other state since 2008, making it less and less likely that our state will possess the intellectual and creative capital needed to create a new economy. Our best students rightly see that their capabilities will be more greatly appreciated elsewhere unless their field of interest is fossil fuel friendly. Many of the students with great potential still get left behind because our lack of educational funding makes them less and less prepared to succeed in college and in their careers. Oklahoma's fossil-fueled failures have state, national, and global implications. Perhaps no other states in the United States bear more responsibility for our inaction on climate change than Oklahoma and Texas, and this is why Scott Pruitt, Rex Tillerson, and Rick Perry are in the halls of power. They have willingly done the bidding of the major fossil fuel companies and their executives, many of whom are based in Oklahoma and Texas, to accelerate the Trump train toward climate chaos, all while these same companies spend billions of dollars to confuse people about the science of climate change in order to make trillions of dollars in profits from their fossil fuel assets. Not only do they put profit over state and country, they put profit over the planet. This is the industry to which Oklahoma should trust its future? Not if we ever hope to make Oklahoma a flourishing state for all people and not a failed state that continues to contribute to the plunder of our planet. The future for Oklahoma is not fossil fuel. It is wind, solar, clean energy technology, sustainable agriculture, creative arts, ecotourism, and innovation for a regenerative economy that contributes to a more just, participatory, and sustainable society. If we really want to step up for Oklahoma, we must step beyond fossil fuel and embrace a diverse and sustainable economic future. $133 million a year sounds like a lot of money, and it is, but it is still much less than what oil and gas companies would be paying each year with a 7% GPT on all wells, a figure much more in line with other states. The oil and gas industry step-up Oklahoma plan still proposes to raise more money through regressive taxes on cigarettes and gas at the pump than it is willing to raise from taxes on oil and gas produced at the well. Far from being a major sacrifice for oil and gas companies, Step Up Oklahoma is a well-calculated move on the part of the industry to appear to be stepping up even though it has been stepping down for years while our state failed. While I agree that we must all step up for Oklahoma, a much better step up for the common good of all Oklahomans would be for us to step up and restore the GPT to 7% 
and hopefully Oklahomans will have an option to vote on this restoration in November by passing State Question 795 if the selfless and sacrificial oil and gas industry is not successful in keeping it off the ballot. Again, that's Mark Davies from OneWorldHouse.net. And finally, wrapping up, I do want to tell you our historical milestone for this episode. And it's looking back at February 16th, 1982. And that is when the Citizens Action for Safe Energy, or CASE, C-A-S-E, succeeded in stopping construction of the Black Fox nuclear power plant near Enola, Oklahoma. The cancellation was the first of its kind solely due to citizen protest. Astounding. CASE was, of course, founded by Carrie Barefoot Dickerson, known as Aunt Carrie. Dickerson and her husband Robert spent nearly a decade and all their financial assets organizing folks around Tulsa and the state. The Dickerson's principal concern was the potential damage to health near the plant and elsewhere through, through uranium mining and processing. And of course, uh, even to this day, the Carrie Dickerson Foundation is carrying on their work, and that can be found at CarrieDickersonFoundation.org, and Carrie is spelled C-A-R-R-I-E. Last but not least, the meme for this episode is... Uh, is about Donald Trump and it says uh, it's quoting one of his tweets it says there are four things wrong with this tweet and and here's the tweet from Donald J. Trump posted on February 10th quote Republicans want to fix DACA far more than the Democrats do the Dems had all three branches of government back in 2008 to 2011, and they decided not to do anything about DACA. They only want to use it as a campaign issue. Vote Republican. Well, as I said, there are four things wrong with this tweet. One, Bush was actually president in 2008. Two, the Dems lost control of the House in 2010. Three, DACA wasn't created until 2012. Four, this guy shouldn't be president. Well, that's our episode for today. Hope you enjoyed it. And I want to encourage you once again to give me feedback about what you think about the podcast, what's, what I'm doing that you like, what I'm doing that you don't like. And of course, listen and share if you do enjoy it. Thanks very much. We'll be back next Monday if all goes well. That's going to hopefully be our schedule coming out on Monday. So we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.